Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Disable Inc. first quarter 2021 earnings call. All participants are currently in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will open the lines for a question and answer session for analysts. Instructions will be provided at that time for research analysts to ask questions. We ask that analysts please limit themselves to two questions and return to the queue for any follow-ups. I'd now like to turn the conference over to the Chabos Investor Relations, Dennis Long. Please go ahead, Dennis. Thank you, Operator. Before we begin, Docebo would like to remind listeners that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the company's current views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking statements. For more information on the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions relating to forward-looking statements, please refer to Docebo's public filings, which are available on CDAR and EDGAR. During the call, we will reference certain non-IFRS measures. Although we believe these measures provide useful supplemental information about our financial performance, they're not recognized measures and do not have standardized meanings under IFRS. Please see our MD&A for additional information regarding our non-IFRS financial measures including for reconciliations to the nearest IFRS measures. Please note that unless otherwise stated, all references to any financial figures are in U.S. dollars. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to the Chabo CEO, Claudio Erba. Thank you, Dennis. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on our first quarter 2021 earning call. With me today is Ian Kitson, our Chief Financial Officer, and Alessio Artufo, our recently appointed President and Chief Revenue Officer. Learning technology has become a strategic investment for companies training for today. And in a post-pandemic world, we are seeing these in the ongoing strength of our sales pipeline, and this is being reflected in our financial results. In the first quarter, we were very pleased to report revenues and AR growth of over 60% for the first time as a public company. Once again, we saw broad-based demand adding 154 net new customers from the fourth quarter of 2020 with strength in new logo performance, upsell and OEM sales. Our ability to effectively deliver learning programs for both internal and external use cases on a single platform is a core strength. In fact, many of, of our customers use the Chebo for both. We think this makes our addressable market of learners much larger than a traditional LMS that is designed for internal training because we not only train our customers, but also our customers' customers. A great example of this was a contract we signed in the first quarter with a fellow Canadian success story, Lightspeed Pulse. Many listeners on this call we know that Lightspeed has built a fantastic business with a software-as-a-service platform that services over 135,000 customers' locations. They selected Docebo to launch a multi-audience learning use case that includes their internal employees as well as customers, with the flexibility to provide unique experiences to each of their audiences. Our sales programs are also becoming more vertical-focused, and this has led to several recent success in the sports industry with some great organizations, including the Toronto Blue Jays, Spurs Sport and Entertainment, 
the owners of the San Antonio Spurs and the first tee. The Toronto Blue Jays selected Docebo late in the third quarter to create a branded Blue Jay training experience for their game day staff. For Spurs Sport and Entertainment, investing in their employees is core to their culture and values as a championship-driven organization. Through their use of Docebo, they intend to give their staff constant access to learnings, tools, and resources to equip them to be successful. First T is a youth development organization established as a partnership between golf major organizations, including the PGA Tour, that help kids and teens build their strength of character through the game of golf. They sought a platform that could provide digital access to its curriculum to parents, participants, and coaches across a network of 150 chapters in the U.S. and internationally. This was a large and complex use case, and we are delighted to be working with an organization like the First T with core values that we admire and we share. We also had a record cross-sell activity in the first quarter, and one I'd like to highlight is with ClearCorrect. ClearCorrect has been building confidence since 2006 with ClearAligners, the alternative to braces. ClearConnect journey with Docebo began in 2017, and after becoming a brand for the Stroutman Group, the program has grown and shown a significant increase in engagement. This has led to ClearCorrect expansion of their platform to other Stroutman Group brands and into other countries like Brazil in the first quarter. A third leg in our consistent growth performance has been our OEM business. For several quarters, now we have talked about building a pipeline of OEM and partnership opportunities. And I'm happy to update you on four that we have announced this week with Vartopia, Vinci's, Blue Water, and MHR. Vartopia is a new OEM partner for the Cebo. They have leading partner relationship management solution that connects technology vendors with a network of over 500,000 partners. Vartopia partnered with Docebo in an OEM agreement to deliver learning and certification through their partner portal solution deployed by their customers and partners around the world. Vinci's is an example of how we are leveraging partners to enter new geographies. They are a global leader in the corporate training space and they have trained over 600,000 professionals around the world. Vinci's will scale the Cebo Multiproduct Learning Suite to organizations based in the Middle East and through Asia Pacific. Two of our existing partners, Blue Water and MHR, are expanding existing partnerships. Blue Water is developing a group of manager service providers offering based on the Cebo, combining Blue Water expertise with our multi-product learning suite. MHR is building on its early success with Docebo on their iTrend platform by embedding the full learning suite into their global HCM platform, People First. In addition, we continue to strengthen our relationship with AWS by joining the ISV partner path in the first quarter. This partnership taps into a number of AWS-tailored programs with access to AWS resources and partner network to further broaden the Chebo reach 
particularly in emerging EMEA markets. What I like most about these deals is that they are all very different. Our OEM and partnership program now clearly extends beyond the HCM space, demonstrating the breadth of opportunities we see to partner with different software platforms and channel partners to reach a wide range of industry vertical and audiences. Now, I have spent most of this call talking about our customer momentum. But I believe the most important announcement we made in the first quarter was the launch of the Docebo Learning Suite, including Docebo Shape, a content creation product that leverages AI to create engaging learning content in minutes. With Docebo Learning Suite, we are transforming Docebo with products for the future that address every enterprise learning requirement. So our customers have a one-stop shop for all their learning needs. Earlier this week, we hosted a webinar to further illustrate our product vision with demonstration of some of the capability of this new product for the investment community. We featured Docebo Shape, Docebo Content, Docebo Learn LMS, and Docebo Learning Impact that are available now as well as future products like Docebo Flow that redefine the possibilities of when and how learning is delivered. Docebo Content Hub and Docebo Learning Analytics, which we think will become a valuable addition for many of our LearnLMS customers. If you haven't had a chance to watch the webinar, please go take a look. It's posted on our investor relationship website. This suite launch has been years in the making, and we are tremendously excited because it sets the stage for our evolution over the coming years. Thank you for listening. I will now pass the call to Ian to speak to the financials. Thank you, Claudio, and good morning, everyone. As always, I'll remind folks that a detailed breakdown of our financial results for the three months ended March 31st, 2021, can be found in our press release, MD&A, and financial statements, which are all now available on our website and have also been filed on CDAR and EDGAR. The slide deck accompanying our earnings call discussion was made available on our investor relations website this morning. For those who want to follow along, I'm starting my remarks on slide four. Docebo exited 2020 with strong momentum in its business, and this continued throughout the first quarter, driven by higher new logo sales, customer expansion, and OEM revenue. As messaged in our last earnings call, in the past three months, we have continued to aggressively expand our capabilities. Since the end of the third quarter in 2020, we have hired nearly 170 additional people, and our results are now beginning to reflect the benefits from the increased investment. Our focus on growing this investment will continue for the next couple of quarters as we prepare the company for the added complexity of managing its expanded portfolio of new products. Total revenue this quarter grew to $21.7 million, an increase of 61% from the prior year period. Subscription revenues grew 62% from the prior year at $19.8 million, representing 91% of total revenue for the quarter. Professional services revenue in the fourth quarter was $2 million, an increase of 48% from the prior year period. ARR growth is the, is the driver behind higher subscription revenue, 
and internally remains the key metric that we use to measure the success of our operations. We recorded 83.4 million in ARR at the end of our first quarter, an increase of 60% over the 52.1 million in ARR that we had at the end of the first quarter in 2020. The chart presented in slide four is illustrative of our progression over the past 12 months. When compared to the fourth quarter of 2020, we added 9.4 million in ARR this quarter, matching the fourth quarter's net ARR increase, which is a high watermark for us. We had 2,333 customers at the end of the first quarter of 2021, and our company-wide average contract value, or ACV, increased to approximately $36,000, up 25% from 28,000 at the end of the first quarter of 2020. The ACV from our new customers added just this quarter was approximately $45,000, and 78% of our new logo and upsell contracts were multi-year transactions. The ongoing shift in our customer profile to larger enterprises is the primary driver in our ACV growth. Slide five talks the gross profit for the first quarter. As a percentage of revenue, gross profit margin was 82.2% of sales, an increase from 79.1% in the prior year. Gross margin has increased from the prior year due to the benefits of scale with our hosting provider and remains within our target range of 82 to 85 percent. It was down slightly from 84 percent in the last quarter for two reasons. First, because we increased our headcount substantially and second, as you may recall, in the fourth quarter of 2020, we benefited from a year-end true-up in the contract with our service provider. On slide six, you can see a summary of our operating expense lines. Total operating expenses for our first quarter increased to $23.5 million as compared to 10 million for the prior year. Included in the 23 million of operating expenses is a foreign exchange loss of $2 million that relates primarily to the cash held on our balance sheet and is therefore for the most part unrealized. Operating costs excluding this loss were $21.5 million, and compared to the $16.8 million in operating costs, also excluding foreign exchange impacts, that we reported in the fourth quarter of 2020. The quarterly increase in operating expenses was primarily driven by higher G&A and sales and marketing expenses. Our G&A expense increased by $1.7 million as compared to the fourth quarter of 2020, up to $7.4 million in total, as a result of experiencing a full quarter of higher accounting, legal, and insurance fees associated with our NASDAQ listing. Within G&A, there was also $348,000 of non-recurring costs associated with our US IPO and the Formetris acquisition. Sales and marketing expense for the first quarter increased by $2.7 million from the fourth quarter up to 9.1 million 
and represented 41.9% of revenue. As we message in our year-end earnings call, we have been aggressively investing in our sales and marketing infrastructure. There are also some seasonal aspects to the hiring on the sales side, as we tend to onboard significantly more sales and marketing people at the beginning of the year as opposed to the middle or the end. Our medium-term expectation for sales and marketing expense as a percentage of total revenue remains unchanged at 35 to 40% and will continue to remain there for so long as our growth trajectory continues at or close to its current level. R&D expense for the first quarter was $4.1 million, an increase from $3.9 million that we reflected in the fourth quarter of 2020. The increase was driven primarily by a growth in headcount and the work that we have been doing to launch the Docebo Learning Suite. As a percentage of revenue, R&D was 19.1% of revenue compared to 20.8% in the fourth quarter last year and will likely remain around 20% of sales in the medium term as we continue to proportionally invest with our sales growth. We reported an adjusted EBITDA loss of $2.5 million for the first quarter of 2021 compared to a loss of $2.4 million in the prior year. We also reported a net loss of $5.6 million for the first quarter this year and that compares to a 0.7 million net income for the prior year period. As we've already noted, the net loss for the first quarter this year reflects a $2 million foreign exchange loss. Finally, free cash flow was negative $2.4 million in the first quarter, and our balance sheet continues to be very healthy with the net cash and cash equivalence balance of $217 million. As a management team, we are focused on continuing to drive organic revenue growth for so long as our CAC ratio remains attractive. At this stage, there's nothing that I can see in the near term that would suggest the momentum in our sales pipeline or customer acquisition costs have materially changed to the downside. As a result, we're going to keep driving the business on the path that we're on. And with the new products and OEM relationships now entering the mix, along with a very healthy core growth engine, we are very excited for the future. And with that, I'll turn it over to the operator now to take some questions from the analysts. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. We do ask that analysts please limit themselves to two questions and then return to the queue for any follow-up. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Robert Young with Canaccord. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, first place I'd like to start is in the incremental ARR in the quarter, uh, second quarter over nine million. Is, is there a way to unpack that a bit to understand the the range of um, the uh, the the ACV doesn't tell a full story around you know how large the largest are and how small the smallest are? And I was wondering if you could you know give a sense of 
you know, how, how large some of the larger contracts that you're winning now, and if that's a big factor in driving, you know, ARR to where it is today, the, the incremental ARR to where to say rather. Sure, Rob. Um, we, we had one, uh, one large customer uh, that, um, that we signed and, and recorded in, actually we, we recorded in the ARR in the first quarter. Um, it was in, a, in excess of a of million dollars. Uh, but other than that, uh, we had a, a, a very nicely distributed set, um, similar, similar actually to what we had in the fourth quarter. Okay, and then if, if you look at the, what you said, record customer expansion activity, uh, that's a, an ongoing trend. But uh, can you talk about the size of expansions? Or are they getting larger? Um, I think the um, the ACV data, if you just look at the the incremental numbers, I think you gave forty five thousand for net new. But the the math would suggest sixty thousand there, and so it's it, it seems just that the expansions on average are larger than net new. Is, is that correct? And what would that imply? Well, to, to, just to to remind people, we we. This is the quarter where we recorded the expansion uh, with the fast food service company, and so that helped all of our all of our numbers this quarter. On okay, the so that's site. Okay, so it's driven by one one contract rather than like a general trend towards larger expansions. Um, you, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll let Alessio add some color to that, but but the short answer is no. Um, it, it it obviously was a big positive, but uh, but we were really pleased overall with with our expansion activity outside of uh, of that of that single contract. Yes, Ian, you're you're correct. Um, uh, the that single contract uh, there was um, uh, significant uh, in nature certainly helped, uh, but uh, uh, we're we're observing uh, our upsell cross-sell business uh, um, we are observing success uh, not only in more transactional user upgrades that are indicative uh, of uh, good, good adoption and growth across our customers but uh, uh, multi-department strategy is uh, uh, paying back uh, and uh, we're succeeding in cross-sales activities which um, effectively yield um, uh, additional customers at higher ACV than average from the past. Okay, thank you very much. And for my second question, just really quickly, just uh, given your exposure to Italy and the, the cadence of, uh, of, of 2020, I was wondering if you could remind people uh, how that year played out. Uh, a lot of people are looking at uh, you know Q2 and beyond as being a tougher compare for most companies and that may be different in, in the case for uh, for Docebo. So I thought you could, you know, remind us of how that played out last year and then I'll pass the line. Uh, yeah, Rob, I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, we we had last year, if you go back to Q4 2019 and then look at Q1 20, Q2 20, we had to all intents and purposes flat ARR growth over over those three quarters. So we will, as we get to three, Q3 and four this year, we will we will have di more difficult comps, um, no question. Uh, you know, 
of course, j just to put a plug in there, having said that, um, I think that underscores what we've been saying all along is that the growth in our business has not been COVID driven. Um, you know, we, we've been very clear COVID has been a tailwind and, and, and a headwind. The headwind was immediate. Sorry, yeah, the, the, the headwind was immediate. The be benefiting from that over the next five years. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from Chris Merwin with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Okay, great. Thanks so much for taking my question. Um, I just wanted to ask about the, the Table Learning Suite. I, I know it's very early days here, but you know, anything you can share about initial traction? And then, I guess as a re related question, you know, does this change the competitive map for you all in, in, in any way? And um, is this something also that's going to be you know sold through your your OEM sales channel? Thanks. Um, hey, Chris, how are you speaking? Um, Strategically speaking, the Cebo suite is a strategic move to be positioned in a, in a completely different way compared to our competitors. Second, it's built based on, our, on what we think are our customer needs. Uh, they need to analyze more data, they need to build content quickly, they need to get uh, decision tools to improve their learning efficiency and so on and so on. Um, that said, it's, a, it's, 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 it's something that in the future we will expand into, the, I mean, the technology has been built, like we said on Monday in our product demo, uh, to be also included into the OEM uh, use cases, but not only, also into the extended enterprise use cases. I mean, learning analytics, for example, can be used for internal training, but also to analyze data for the external training. Um, that said, we started selling the first product, which is DLI, the Triple Learning Impact, which is the rebranding of the acquisition we made for Formatrix. Uh, um, I mean, we start market uh, these in April. So as, as of today, we do not have any KPI to say uh, what, what, what will perform, what will not perform, for sure. Over one year and a half, we are releasing a lot. We are transitioning to a single, from a single product to a suite, and uh, there will be products that will perform better than others. Uh, we made our best internally. So uh, it's, it's a journey that just started. And uh, as, you, as you know, I don't like to make projection without having any data. We have our entrepreneurial spirit that uh, is driving by innovation, is made to make our customer life easy, is made to make our customer buy from one vendor only without aggregating uh, these homogeneous technologies. And we know the industry. I mean, we, we, we aim to know the industry because it's only 16 years uh, me, 16 years, Alessio, and, and many others that are in the industry. So maybe we have some kind of, uh, you know, feeling uh, on how to improve it. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And maybe just one more question. I mean, given the, the, the strengths we saw in ARR growth this quarter, are you able to, um, you know, maybe just qualitatively help us understand, you know, the strength of OEM relative to, to, to direct sales within um, yeah, the, the uptick in, in ARR that we saw this quarter? 
Um, the the sure. So the OEM growth uh, has been uh, relatively steady, Chris, over the last three quarters. Having said that, uh, the growth has been has been growing consistently. It's 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 not growing anywhere near, obviously, at the same rate as uh, as as we are overall. But uh, we've been working very closely with our partners, and uh, and we're really happy with the progress that we're making there. We are still fundamentally um, realizing the majority of uh, all all. I'll say 80 to 90% of our OEM revenue from from a single OEM partner. And so that's why, and you've heard me say this uh, several times, when I look over the next two to three years and think about, um, think about sort of the, the, the hidden gems of why this company is going to succeed, it's the OEM side that gets me the most, the, the most excited. Perfect. Thank, thanks very much. Your next question comes from Daniel Chen with TD. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, Ian, on that last point you made, so Ceridian continues to win new customers and grow its recurring revenues. Would you say that you're seeing greater success with the new customers that they win, or have you also been successful at selling into their existing customer base as well? They're doing both, Dan. Um, you know, it's it's like anything else. Um, Docebo got better at, at selling and implementing its products 2016 to 2020, and Ceridian is is getting better at selling on our behalf. Dayforce learning over the past 18 months or or 24 months, um, and uh, and their their internal infrastructure is now well set and established to attack both fronts. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. And then you mentioned in your prepared remarks um, that you're going to continue pushing. You're not seeing any changes. This time last year, uh, you did talk about um, increased inbound momentum. Can you just give us some color on what you're seeing in some of these markets that are reopening getting past the pandemic? What are you seeing there that's giving you the confidence to continue pushing, uh, pushing ahead? Very satisfied uh, with uh, our inbound results. Um, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Sorry, I had an audio trouble with my headphones. Um, then I was saying uh, we're very satisfied with our audio uh, with with our um, results in inbound in quarter one. Definitely, um, inbound is still the primary contributor to our growth uh, when you look at uh, a channel mix between inbound and outbound. Um, in quarter one, we have um, analyzed uh, an increase uh, in, um, in um, our attainment on the inbound side versus our goals, and, uh, and uh, we were very, very happy to see that, uh, um, not only in North America, um, but but also in Europe, where where to an extent, you know, um, we we've we've seen that things have been 
a little bit more difficult with regard to you know the the pace of vaccination and so on and so forth. So um, we've uh, we've absolutely um, uh, loved seeing uh, an uptick uh, in inbound uh, uh, results and and you know we believe frankly it's it's the product and the response to the investments that we've made. Uh, we spoke about this in past calls. We've staffed our marketing and digital marketing organization to to really uh, um, uh, be aggressive on the search front, uh, on the various channels that, you know, we, we can win um, several investments in strategic account-based account marketing uh, uh, channels. Um, and we're seeing the fruits of that pay and, and very, very happy to see that. Great. Thank you. You bet. Your next question comes from Richard Tay with National Bank. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you. I just had a question on the competitive environment. I'm just sort of wondering if there's sort of been any change in terms of who you're displacing most often. Um, I got it. Hi, hi, hi Richard. Um, it's a um, good question. Uh, look, uh, you know, we we certainly are seeing a trend of um, growth and success in the in the mid enterprise markets at a rapid pace. It's easier, in a way, to um, establish the vendors that we're displacing in those segments. Uh, because there's less, right, when compared to to the smaller market where there's more fragmentation, and and really we're strategically very focused on on winning the business of enterprise organizations uh, um, on a departmental level. And so, when you think of the enterprises that have a learning product as part, for example, of their HCM or their talent management suite. Look, there's there's not many companies that we compete with, and you guys know who those players are. And and what we're hearing from these organizations, that from the companies that were winning, some were named today, when they choose us, is they're very dialed in in learning. They have a vision for learning that go beyond internal. We spoke about light speed. Um, it's not it's not uncommon for a company in that space that has the goal of training two audiences internal and external to select us over a more uh, um, maybe standard internal corporate solution at enterprise level that does a good job in the context of an HR suite but perhaps is not as innovative and specialized on the learning front. And that's our angle, and that's how we win that business. Um, okay. Richard, did I address it? Yeah. Um, my second question has to um, relate to the Dochebo Learning Suite. It sounds like, obviously, a pretty compelling opportunity. I, I'm just trying to understand the relative size of the opportunity. So. If you looked at the current base you have today in, in terms of the product portfolio you had prior to this announcement, 
and you kind of, and you kind of look at you know what that opportunity is had, had that product been around at the beginning is it sort of 3x 5x 10x i'm just trying to get an understanding of the, the relative um sort of increase in, in market opportunity here was was that uh that re recent announcement um yeah um cloudy speaking uh, uh unfortunately i i broke my crystal ball yesterday so i don't have a real number and i think that everyone that is trying to make projections on numbers is just throwing ram random numbers i mean we are not here to start defining the market size and then building products to try to fulfill the market, the total addressable market. We are here to build great products that make our customer happy. So this is the real, uh, the real bet. I mean, the bet is, are these products creating value for my customer? The growth? is a consequence. For sure, if we are growing 60 with only one product, if we catch, if we, if we, will, if we will win a couple of others, probably we will grow faster. That said, you raised a great question, which is the total addressable market and the scope. The total addressable market of elements is someone is saying is 10 billion, other 11, other seven, that means that no one knows how big it is. Okay, it's just a benchmark. But no one, for example, is addressing how big is the external use case for the learning management system. So, and there is one piece of the puzzle that is completely missing. And the AI content creation for learning, which is our shape, is a total new product. How can you estimate a total addressable market? I mean, are you, how you can be realistic and guess numbers that are not existing? Uh, and, and the same is for learning analytics. I can throw numbers, but these are really, uh, it, it's not the way Docebo works. The way Docebo works is we think that our customers have challenges in the past, we didn't solve these needs for our customers. Uh, we learn from our mistake, and then we are building great products. Success and growth is a consequence. It's not an estimate on how big we can be. And then not saying, uh, I mean, maybe all the products that we are building will be zero completely. We will miss our, all our products because our vision is completely wrong. Or Every product will be a great success. Or in the middle, some product will perform way better. Some product will perform um, not good. I mean, my, in my heart, the Chebo shape is the most disruptive and innovative. But based on my customer needs, we can create immediate value for our customers with the Chebo learning analytics. The Chebo learning impact is already answering the question on why the training is successful in the organization. What, what is the contribution? So I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not making any forecast. I'm just uh, uh, here to build great products and try to make my customer happy. Fair enough. Thanks, Richard, Richard, the only thing I'll add is um, 
when Claudio says maybe maybe there'll be zero, it you know that makes me squirm. But but look, um, the reality is that like to, to, just to get a little philosophical for a moment, this company values intellectual honesty as 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 much as any organization I've I've ever known. What we're trying to say is it's too early. We have no data, truly no data, to respond to your to, to your question, and and we want to know just as just as eagerly as you do, um, and uh, probably by the third, certainly the fourth quarter this year, we'll have some data that is uh, at least indicative. Of, of where we think we're going to be, and and uh, uh, I I I I know you really would love us to to put a, uh, a a peg in the board on this, but but please please just be a little patient. Um, as as soon as we have some information that we think is is meaningful and reliable, then then we'll be communicating it. Yeah, and Ian, uh, I'm adding one another point here. Um, there are two 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 cluster of companies that we are learning from. There are the Microsoft and the Salesforce that are product business driven, and then there are companies that are engineering driven, like uh, Google and AWS. Google is building products, throwing products in the market and uh, some products will be hyper-successful, like Android. We are trying to, to mix both. We think that all the products we have released have a great chance of success because we need it internally as Lucebo as a company. But in the same time, we are sure that some products will have more success and other products will have less success. What we did was covering all the life cycles from content building to data analytics. And let's say that when I say product and I'm not saying modules, it's because the product that we have built can run also inside a competitor ecosystem. So another customer that has an LMS can use the Chebo Shape to uh, deliver, to build the content that will be delivered with another LMS can use the simple learning analytics to analyze the data generated by another LMS. And uh, the simple learning impact, which, uh, which, which is for matrix, is already running under other competitors' technologies. So the, the, this is the big framework of, uh, of the product strategy that I'm uh, trying to execute during 2021, 2023, 2023. That's great. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from Martin Toner with ATB Capital. Please go ahead. Thanks very much. Uh, congrats on a great quarter, and congrats to Alessio on on the uh, uh, on the promotion. Um, Thanks, Martin. My question, Thanks, Martin. My first question is on uh, partner programs. Um, the Blue Water extension sounds like a uh, dedicated consulting practice that's dedicated to Docebo solutions. Um, is that the case? And um, as an ex and also, are you dedicating resources to this growing 
uh, list of partners? I mean, grow, uh, are you adding to uh, your team to manage this program? I'm sure there's a large number uh, of prospective partners out there that you could add over time. Martin, thank you for the question. Uh, um, the brief answer on Blue Water is uh, you're correct. As you know, Blue Water has been for many, many years a leader in uh, the uh, professional services, managed services, and overall knowledge in the uh, uh, consulting aspect behind learning and HCM solution more broadly. They have represented the big brands of uh, uh, you know, learning management systems and beyond and have a deep industry knowledge in North America but also reach into Europe. Um, with uh, their leadership team, who we have a long-standing relationship with, we saw an opportunity of beginning to uh, refine their knowledge in our technologies, and they started uh, to help us uh, on the integration implementation front, so on the professional services side, but they are a go-to-market organization as well, and so other than just uh, uh, you know, doing consulting, they also had a commercial arm that was very, very interested in incorporating our technology in a uh, you know, laser-focused uh, managed services approach where they would offer to their customer a, a, a set of services that incorporate us as the te learning technology enabler. So we're very proud of it because um, uh, these guys work with some of the best companies in North America and beyond. They know what they're doing. They are high-quality people, great people and high-quality learning professionals. And we're just proud of um, you know, growing that partnership. To your question about staffing, in order to support our partnership overall, yes, we are very intentional and deliberate in the way we design our partnership organization. We don't, uh, we don't necessarily share resources across the OEM and the strategic partner business um, um, in, in the sense that uh, OEM is uh, its own thing, has its own strategy and management and strategic resellers. Uh, they need a certain and different type of approach. Uh, but I would say we're largely focused on OEM as a flywheel of growth for the future, but we'll catch opportunities like Blue Water in the world and the announcement of, of Vinces is um, a similar one. Uh, you know, we like uh, strategic resellers and strategic partners in geographies where we don't have uh, a, uh, a very strong physical presence. So that's, that's a good example for Middle East and, and, and APAC. Um, and um, I don't know if you, if you asked about it, but you know, MHR is instead an example of growing an account managing an existing OEM where we started with iTrend, a portion of the technology, but then uh, they were so satisfied with our technology adoption that they decided to extend it uh, to, to their people's first platform, their global HCM. So uh, overall, we're very pleased with, uh, with that progress. Ale, um, there, there is another point about consulting companies uh, uh, that are our partners. There are some verticals, some industry and some geography that really need help during the transition into the digital transformation. Some company, our comfort zone IT companies, uh, very high growing innovative companies, doesn't need an internal consultant to be digitally transformed. Other companies need um, and, and we, we have to realize that a learning tool 
is, is one of the main pillars of digital transformation inside young and high growth or traditional um, hyper profitable uh, organization. And, and that's where the consultant can help. Going hand to hand with us and with the customer through a digital transformation process. That's great. I really appreciate that thoughtful answer. Um, next question. Uh, Ian mentioned that most of the sales came uh, from inbound requests. Uh, I know you guys are building out your outbound uh, sales force. Can you talk a little bit about um, the um, about that? Uh, what your expectations are for these people, and when you think it'll start uh, contributing to uh, numbers? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I I believe what I what we what we said is that inbound is a, is a great contributor. We are actually uh, satisfied and uh, and uh, uh, very aligned with the plan that we had for outbound in terms of contribution as the source channel of lead generation. Well, our plan is uh, to continue to support the sales execution with both inbound and outbound. And, um, and in addition to outbound, uh, with our account development teams that, if you will, you can see them as an out outbound workforce in the context of existing customers to support um, what we have said over and over, our, our cross-selling and upselling strategy. Um, our, uh, our strategy overall at a high level remains unchanged. Uh, um, you know, what some things that I'm happy to share is that we have reinforced uh, our outbound organization uh, with uh, uh, certain uh, new uh, uh, management uh, uh, individuals that are bringing uh, experience and are bringing a skill set that before was very much grown in um, uh, uh, grown in house, and, and we felt that it was the absolute appropriate time to reinforce with transformational talent that helps us accelerate that, um, that plan that we have ahead of us. In terms of contribution for the future, um, you can stay assured that um, uh, we are uh, we're very uh, much uh, interested in continuing to manage uh, the mix of inbound and outbound. And uh, here's what we like about outbound. We know that by uh, creating outbound deals, uh, we are uh, able to enter in the organizational goals earlier than when we uh, do so with inbound. And that means that really the projects uh, have uh, a wider scope oftentimes, uh, and they also are less competitive because we establish a much more strategic relationship from the get-go. So um, uh, not only very excited about outbound, but very dialed in it. In it, and uh, with the addition of the new talents uh, on the management side, uh, looking forward to growing that business uh, um, uh, further. Thanks very much, Alessio. Appreciate it. I appreciate you. Your next question comes from Sutan Sukumar with Eight Capital. Please go ahead. Um, first question I had was um, uh, wanted wanted to get an update on on format trees. Um, you know, how is the integration progressing to date? Uh, has there been any change in in your outlook or impact that you expect to generate from this business uh, this year? 
Uh, Susan, I, I apologize, but my my connection this morning is is terrible, and you were breaking up. I couldn't understand the question. Apologies. Um, I was asking uh, if you guys can provide an up, an update on your recent acquisition for Matrice. Just curious how the the integration is progressing to date, and and has there been any kind of change in the outlook or impact that you guys are expecting to generate from the business this year? Um. Yeah, Susan. Um, the so for Matrix has been rebranded with a very nice logo, by the way, into the Chebo Learning Impact Friendly DLI. Um, and uh, it, it's uh, already integrated inside our suite. It's, uh, it's the first component together with uh, uh, the one that is a part of the suite of, uh, of the Chebo. And we started market this early of April. Um, so actually, we are demoing the product. Uh, we are analyzing the feedback of the customers. Uh, we we have built a strong roadmap that, if I'm not wrong, have three releases relying on the actual software stack plus a full rewrite of the front-end and back-end, keeping the AI algorithms that are very well-trained, uh, the Formatrix AI algorithm, uh, in 2022. So there is a very solid uh, roadmap and a very solid approach to the product, because do not forget that DLI, the Chamber Learning Impact, aka Formatrix, is solving an industry dilemma that is 15 years of the year the ROI of learning, the return of investment. Because you cannot, you can only guess the return of investment when you measure quantitative data, like how long the train, the learner has spent inside the course, what are the scores, the quiz, or whatever. But in order to assess the return of learning, the return of investment, you need qualitative answer. And the fact that the learner can answer if the training got a positive impact on his career, on the business, uh, and also running industry benchmark is the way to provide the ROI. So yes, we are marketing the product, we are excited, we are pumped, and uh, we can't wait to, 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 to have a 140% attachment rate, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Perfect, thank you. Um, and just to, Touch on kind of your your broader M and A strategy. You know, you guys are obviously in 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 an aggressive ramp up mode, and you guys are focused on execution, um, on kind of from an organic perspective. Um, but do, do you guys see more opportunity now to do more M and A in kind of the near to midterm here to, to to further enhance your platform and roadmap? So, um, assuming we have an interesting cash balance. Uh, we are not. Uh, um, we we are. We, we don't want to make M&A just because we have money in the bank and we need to prove to use this money. Um, the first thing that we want to avoid is making mistakes, and this is what worries me a lot. Um, that said, we 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 are not oriented to buy any competitors for sure. We, if, if there are opportunities there with an interesting price, uh, what we would like to explore are possibility to acquire something we cannot build internally 
because we do not have the knowledge to do it. So if there is something that is consistent to our learning suite mission and vision, that we cannot build internally. And, and, and we were joking with Rob Young, like, oh, you have Oculus, you are buying something into the virtual reality. This was a joke. But this is the kind of technology that we don't have expertise to build. So if you have to build, to buy a technology, is a, and this is not VR, but it's something that we really don't have expertise or methodology to, or knowledge to build internally. In this case, we are open to explore this. Let's not forget that some assets are overpriced, other assets are not fitting the disabled vision and other assets are not fitting with company culture. So it's a, it's, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough uh, reserve of opportunities. We are open, not in a hurry, but we are open. Great. Thank you for the uh, feedback, guys. I'll pass line. Your next question comes from Nick Agostino with Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, yes, uh, good morning and congrats on the quarter. I guess uh, one, maybe two questions for me. First, you know, you guys talked about supporting the new module launches. You talked about obviously having uh, adding more people to support the outbound initiatives and to support OEMs in general. I'm just wondering, is there an org structure or something you guys think you need to change internally to manage those those um, those you know multi layers of of growth that you're you're seeing right now, both from a product and from a sales perspective, or is there a layer that you need to introduce within the organization to be able to manage just the uh, the level of growth you're seeing right now? Uh, Nick, thank you for the question because uh, it's, it's for me the opportunity to welcome Alessio as the president during this earning call because I didn't, uh, I didn't do it yet. You know that Alessio got his own promotion. Um, yes, and the fact that uh, I have uh, promoted, we, me and the board have decided to promote Alessio as the president is because he has shown to be a person that can work outside our directly reporting line, helping to strengthen and grow the whole organization chart. So the fact that we are moving Alessio, we are adding new duties on Alessio role, and this will be done in the night because in the day he's the chief revenue officer, is the first step to, to reshape the organization to support the multi-product strategy. And then, and, and then to Alessio, uh, chime in, um, just to highlight what are the changes we are making, and especially in his own organization that actually is uh, uh, revenues and services uh, to support the uh, the digital suite. Well, thank you, Claudio and Nick. Uh, great question. One that we are certainly very passionate about. Um, I know, I know, I am, and, and I know this is um, um, some some um, aspect that we think about a lot these days. The the first comment that comes to mind, Nick, when I hear your question is that. Um, when you're part of a company that grows at the pace that we've been posting for the past, you know, not only since we became public, but even before, my history at the Chebo, 
year over year and really quarter over quarter, we have a DNA and and a, uh, we've developed um, a, a, I would call it an ability to understand where we're going to go in the future and adapt our skin to what's next. Um, that is a continued process. Uh, and uh, this change towards multi-product uh, is just uh, – another milestone where we where we need to execute some evolution um, um, now to the multi product changes uh, Claudia alluded to changes in the sales organization professional services I'll start I'll start from uh, the outcomes what do we want out of any organizational improvement that we approach we want happier customers that adopt our products better and stay with us longer. So rather than focusing on, on the uh, inputs as in the products, uh, we look at the outcomes as a starting point. Then, then if we think that there's more complexity in terms of products, we need to think about how our people are going to create where to create specialization, at what point in time, and to what extent. And this is a journey. It, it, you don't do all of this in one shot, one day. It is, it is, I'd rather call it a program that gets designed and executed over time. One decision that we've been public about, we've shared this in our recent call, is in implementing certain overlays at sales execution level that guarantee an ownership of overlay quota at product family level, where those product families are made of certain products that have something in common where product management, uh, head of sales, product lines, uh, or uh, um, and product marketers work together in a in a you know virtual hybrid pod to really lead the organization towards um, building better products, marketing products appropriately, and then enabling the workforce overall from sales through professional services via customer experience and in support. To, to really then have the customers that, um, um, have great experiences. Um, this is a journey that started a few months ago. Uh, we're in the middle of it. We'll continue to keep you updated, uh, but just know that this, this is front and center of what we're dialed in. Okay, great. And then my, my second question, just looking at your sales pipeline, I mean, uh, you guys talk about having an extensive one. In the quarter itself, you, you indicated you had one large customer. Can you maybe give some indication or color as to the, uh, your Outlook sales pipeline? Uh, do, do you have some other large customers within that pipeline? Are there new geographies that, are been, uh, that you're seeing interest from? And are there any new verticals that you might be uh, seeing interest from? And I'll leave it there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'll, I'll respond to this question starting from the end of uh, your your question uh, you're referring to verticals um, uh, you know verticals is one of those areas where um, to your prior question we we look at that as a very important area to to focus on for the future we we understand and appreciate that when you um, sell into a company understanding their business deeply and intimately makes a difference and um, when we look at the verticals that we do really well with um, at, a, at a high level, you know, there's eight to nine verticals that, that really we 
repeat success uh, and we have found some level of magic sauce and magic formula. Uh, with regards to the health of our pipeline and with regards to are we going to land other big logos and big wins, um, the answer is yes, we will. We will. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that we will land both uh, uh, good companies with good ARRs as well as the OEMs and, um, you know, we, we're we sound really bullish about it because we look at, at the data and the data speaks highly for our team's efforts in generating these opportunities. And now, will we be able to, to say the names of these companies? That's the, that's the fine grain detail that is uh, oftentimes, as you very well know, more in the court of our customers, uh, legal and procurement officers, but we certainly will do our best to do so. Um, we're excited about the names that we have in our pipeline and, and we project um, some um, some exciting wins ahead of us. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. At this time, I'd at this time I'd like to turn the conference back for any closing remarks. Yeah. Um, thank you again for these uh, for for these uh, for the time you, you dedicated to us during this call. Uh, I think we will speak again like in August. Speak soon. Have a nice day. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day.